And now we are in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. If you are able to stand, would you do so? As we read God's Word, please. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that at this point of our worship this morning, that you would calm our spirits, whatever busyness of the week is wrestling in our minds at this moment. I pray, God, that you would cause us to set that aside, that you would allow us through your spirit to just rest in the hearing of your word, so that we can listen exactly to what it is you're saying. Father, we love you, and we wish to hear from you. And it is at this point, Father, we ask that you would help us to understand this reading of your word. Help us to follow these words of your Son, Jesus Christ. What does that look like for us? But more importantly, Father, what does it mean, what you say? Help us, Father, to understand what it means not to retaliate. The sinful part of us wants to fight back because we are offended. But your son, Jesus, has taught us something here very profound, and that's to stand and not fight back. And so, God, help us to see the power of that peace. Help us to see, Father, that it is through your Son, Jesus Christ, that this is possible. And teach us and help us to depend on you even in this situation. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. God bless you guys. In our Americanized culture, right, would y'all agree, y'all understand that we are Americanized? Y'all know what that means? Right? If you've ever been anywhere outside of the United States, Americans have a very unique, and very obvious culture, <laughs> okay? We, we demand our rights. We demand justice. And nobody can tell us what to do. Can we say amen? <laughs> Anybody here guilty of that attitude? No one can tell me what to do. And so whenever we uh, are offended, someone comes against us, we as Americans... We have this foundational right to stand up for ourselves, to return the offense. If someone attacks us, we have the right to stand up and fight back. In other words, we have the right to stand up for ourselves, to stand up for what we believe in, for what we hold dear, what we consider our principles. We stand firm for our faith. We stand firm for our political convictions. And don't anyone ever attack us for that. I mean, we, we've turned this attitude of fighting back and retaliation into entertainment. I mean, I, Fox News, folks, ain't news. I'm just telling you. Fox News is entertainment news. So same thing with CNN, same thing with MSNBC. That The 24-hour cable news phenomena is not news. It's entertainment from the aspect of you get different opinions and they fight against each other. How dare you attack my rights? Can we say amen or oh me? This is the center of our culture. Even our movies, if you think about the most popular action movies, they are centered around the revenge factor. The husband and father who has lost his wife and his family to some tragedy now must go and fight back and get revenge against those who have come against his family and ruined his life. Can we, do you see where this is headed? Our, our, our whole culture is around revenge. It's around retaliation. It's around fighting back. And what Jesus is addressing here in verses 38 through 42 is actually an attitude of the Jewish culture of the time that is really no different. It was very much the same as our 21st century Americanized, can we say, Christianity. 
passage from the Mosaic law that, that is in question here that Jesus is talking about here in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is referring back to the Mosaic law, specifically to the book of Leviticus. And if you wish to turn there, uh, Leviticus chapter 24 is where Jesus is referencing here because this particular passage had, had, had grown to the point in Jewish culture that it was taken to an extreme. Leviticus chapter 24, beginning in verse 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. This is the foundation of the death penalty, right? Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good. Life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Now, this is the main point here. Verse 19, verse 19 where it says, If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. This is the main point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where that had become so distorted at this point of Jewish culture that Jesus is addressing this. Jesus is setting right what Jewish culture had corrupted. Now, let's stop and ponder here for a minute. In the Old Testament, God has spoken through the Mosaic law here. Was God wrong? No. He has set down a very foundational and true principle that justice will be demanded when there is an offense. Correct? But by the time of Jesus' day, the Jewish culture had corrupted this simple teaching of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to a very twisted perspective. So what is the problem here in the days of Jesus that caused him to teach a different approach? I mean, what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 5, is that not justice? Or is it something different? Right? Is there not a biblical mandate that we see here in the Old Testament to repay evil for evil? If, if there is an injustice, we are justified by God to stand up and repay that evil? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, fracture for fracture, broken bone for broken bone. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You kill one of my people, I will kill one of your people. This, is, this was the tit for tat. It was, it, was a, it was a sign of balance. It was a sign of repayment, but it had to turn into retaliation. What exactly then is what Jesus saying? What exactly is the purpose of the kingdom of heaven if oppression is not to be resisted? Because when we read here in Matthew chapter 5, it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, don't fight back. Because the, the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, beginning with the Beatitudes in the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus really lays out a very radically new way of thinking about being citizens of the kingdom. And so by now, he is now teaching us in verses 38 through 42 that if there's an offense, don't resist it. Don't fight back. Does this mean then that Jesus is changing the Mosaic law? Is it that Jesus is now saying that that evil is not to be punished? I don't think so. I don't think that would be serving what God intends because that would not be justice. And if God is who, he, who we say is, if God is who he says he is, then, then he is a just God. He is a fair God and he will cause all things to come into balance as he deems it to be. So what does he mean here? The command here in Leviticus chapter 24 that we just read was really primarily directed to governing authorities. God establishes government. God establishes authority. And this is another thing in our Americanized way of thinking that we have the right to resist all authority because we are individuals and the individual is more powerful than the government. Now, it is a radical thinking that I think is very good and, and really God-structured that the people are the government. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going against that at all. I think what we have here in our American way of 
governing is the best way to govern. It really is. We don't want a dictator. We don't want a king. We don't want a monarch telling us what to do, what to think, what to say. The people, we govern ourselves. I think that's good. But even in that, as we govern ourselves, don't we establish different levels of authority? Don't we establish governments? And this is a godly thing. Because all governments that are established, all governing authorities are those that God establishes himself. And why does God allow government? Why does God set into place structures of authority? It's primarily to curtail the effects of sin. Anyone who claims that fundamentally human beings are good are blind to the truth. Okay? We see here in 1 Peter chapter 2, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but if you want to take notes, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 14 speaks to this point of God's mandate for government. The Apostle Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That right there is the, the, the very purpose of government to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. You see how this ties into what Leviticus chapter 24 is saying. You punish those who do evil. You must hold them accountable. And it is the government's responsibility to do this. First Peter chapter 2, again, continuing in verse 14. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, that's going to be the foundation for helping us understand what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. We can also look at Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul helps us understand this a little bit further as well. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from who? God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This passage in Romans chapter 13 really kind of became the foundation uh, for how many of the churches back in March and April of this year were trying to think how to navigate this COVID-19 thing. Because back then in, in March and April, we didn't know what we were dealing with. So the wisdom, the the prudent thing to do was to listen to the governing authorities and at least follow their guidelines. Nowhere in Tennessee's government did it mandate that we not meet as, as churches, but it did highly recommend, please don't. And so many church leaders, and I was one of them, we agreed, at least for right now, following Romans chapter 13, let's be subject to the governing authorities until we understand what we're dealing with here. The problem by the time of Jesus' day here, and here's where Jesus is coming back to in Matthew chapter 5. The problem by the time of Jesus was that the common man, the individual, the populace, they, they had seized upon this Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 24, not as a mandate for the governing authorities to punish evil, but that the individual had the right to retaliate anytime they were offended. That's what had happened by the time of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. The the individual, the person, had seized upon this Mosaic law in, in Leviticus chapter 24 as a right to retaliate whenever a wrong had been done. Because everyone who seized upon this law, they saw it as a pretext. They saw it as a justification for personal revenge. And that's what Jesus was teaching against here in Matthew chapter 5. Nowhere is Jesus indicating that you don't stand up against evil. He's saying you don't take personal revenge. Rather than allowing the governing authorities to issue justice, what was happening was that the individual in Jewish culture saw God's law as justification to be judge and juror right then and there. They were literally taking the authority away from who... God had established as authority. You could even go farther and say that the individual by this time, the Jewish person of this time who would retaliate, was actually taking the authority away from God himself and playing God, I will judge this situation and I will fight back and I will give punishment because they hurt me. How many of us have been guilty of that? Somebody has hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. I think we've all been there, haven't we? 
Whether it's a physical offense, whether it's verbal, whether it's reputation, whether it's just my feelings are hurt, so I'm going to hurt them back. Can't we just say Facebook, folks? Enough said? You know, and I've said this from the pulpit before. Social media is nothing new. It's the technology that's new, but the human condition has just been tapped into with new technology that just manifests everything that's inside of us and given us a free platform to be sinful people. Amen? Because what had happened here by Jesus' day is that revenge had become justified by taking the Mosaic law that God himself gives, and the individual could, by their twisted interpretation of Leviticus chapter 24, they could return action for like action whenever they were injured. And this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus reminds his disciples here in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5 that although judges are entrusted with the defense of the people, the protection of the populace, to pass judgment on the wicked, to restrain the violence and to repress the wicked, Jesus is saying here it's the duty of every citizen, but a particular citizen of the kingdom of heaven, to bear patiently with the injuries that come against you. Because remember, Matthew chapter 5, beginning here with the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is establishing here is the condition of the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus describing what it means to be a king, a citizen of heaven. And citizens of heaven, according to Jesus, don't fight back. They wait patiently, peacefully, for justice to come as God brings it. In other words, you don't take God's law into your own hands. He says here in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 5, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. How many people here have ever been slapped in the face for whatever reason? Doesn't feel very good, does it? It's painful, it stings, but it, what, the purpose of that is much deeper too. It's an insult. So the one who is evil here in verse 39, Jesus is referring to the one who offends you. The evil that comes against you, don't resist the one who is evil. Now, hold on tight because we want to get to a little bit more deeper here. There, there, there does come a point where self-defense is reasonable. And I don't think God's going to expect anyone just to lay down passively without defending themselves when necessary. So the one who is evil here is referring to the, uh, the, the one, the attacker. Jesus here in, in this one who is evil, he, he's meaning the act of the offense. It's the clear act of violence, right? Because he's, he's describing a slap of the cheek. It's a clear act of violence. And clearly, if somebody slaps you, you would probably, you, I mean, clear, you would be justified in retribution. You hit me, I am justified in defending myself. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat this. You are clearly justified to defend yourself if necessary. But what is Jesus saying? Instead, Jesus here makes it clear that the kingdom citizen, the, the, the citizens of heaven, would rather allow the attacker to strike the second cheek than to retaliate in anger, than to retaliate in violence. Because if that person is being violent towards you and they're attacking you and they're angry at you, and if you respond in like kind, what have you now just done? You've done evil as well. This is the point that Jesus is making. In no way, though, is Jesus advocating for passive submission. Because this passage has been interpreted that Christians just lay down and allow anyone to hurt them any way they want. I'm not saying that we lay down and let anyone hurt us. If we can avoid the attack... I think we are justified by God's word to avoid it. We see history of this, right? But people who are persecuted, there's a history in the church and there's even a history in Jewish tradition of moving to avoid attack. You can flee danger if you see danger coming. I think that's wisdom. 
We just don't sit here and allow the enemy to hurt us and kill us if we have the opportunity and the means to get out of the way. That's reasonable. So standing there and say, go ahead and hit me if you want to, depends on the situation, but I wouldn't say that's very wise. If you can avoid it, avoid it. But clearly there is no call for complete passivity here. Because especially when it comes to defending the innocent. Husbands and fathers in this room, men, we are called by God, we are designed by God to protect those that we love. We are justified in God's word and in his law that if someone is uh, attacking the innocent, we are there to defend them and block it. So let's, let's make sure that what Jesus is teaching here is not that we lay down that responsibility either. That's not what Jesus is saying. Let's figure out a little bit deeper here what is happening. Turn to Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul helps us see this a little bit deeper because in this text, Romans chapter 12, he, he gives us the marks of a true Christian and Paul is echoing very clearly what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 9 through 10 of Romans chapter 12. Here's what the Apostle Paul teaches. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Boy, wouldn't that be great if we just got into a competition of doing good things and loving each other instead of being in a competition of who's going to win and hurt the other? Wouldn't that be awesome? How many of us would sign up for that kind of a competition? If we had a game and a competition, uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do more good and honor than you will. Yeah. How many of us would sign up for that game? But if we had a game where we were going to fight, oh man, they'll flock in crowds, won't they? The apostle Paul here is echoing what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Be genuine in your love toward one another. Be genuine in how you do good to one another. In other words, do more good than evil. Right? The other thing that we see here is what Jesus is, he's actually referring to as well, Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 14. Paul tells us again, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And then here, this ties directly to what Jesus is saying. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He continues, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. There you go, revenge. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written from Deuteronomy chapter 32, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what is Jesus teaching us here in Matthew chapter 5? Allow God to be your defender. Don't take God's role as the one who doles out justice and passes judgment. Don't take that for yourself. This is, kind of, this is what is core to Christianity. If we trust the Lord, if we have faith that God himself has completed all that is necessary for our salvation, can we not also agree that God is going to defend us when we are attacked? The problem is God doesn't act as quickly as we want him to act. And so what do we do? We take God's law into our own hands and we go against our attacker. The Old Testament, especially the, the, the Psalms of David, show this more and more and more uh, that it is God who will win the battle and we glorify him when he does. Paul here also, in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, Paul also teaches further that interaction between God's people should be harmonious, should be in contrast to what the enemies do. How do God's people, the children of God, interact with those outside of the kingdom? 
Because those outside of the kingdom are going to do horrible things to us. Those outside of Christianity, by their nature, will do horrible things towards God's people. And in so doing, what, they, what, what they're really doing is they're doing horrible things against Christ. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. It is more painful to the wicked. At the core of who we are, we are wicked people apart from Christ. And it is Christ Himself who makes us clean and, and refreshes us and makes us holy in the presence of God. When those who are outside of Christ come against us, instead of retaliating the way that the Jewish culture misinterpreted the Mosaic law, instead of retaliating, the Christian, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. In other words, do good things, do kind things. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. If he comes against you, be kind. Romans 12, 21 at the end says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now that's hard. Can we just be honest with ourselves here? Trust me. If somebody is yelling in my face, the last thing on my mind is to say, Well, bless your heart. The last thing on my mind is to just be nice. But the Christian is called by Christ Himself that we do not overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. This is how Jesus wants His people to respond to evil actions. Now, go back to Roman, uh, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 39 through 42. We're going to break this down and, and close out with how we are to actually respond to evil and how this applies to our everyday life. Matthew chapter 5, at, the, at the, the tail end of verse 39, Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And verse 40, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now Jesus in this passage, is he's laid the groundwork for not responding in like kind, but how does this now look in real life? There's four things here that he talks about, and these are all things that, that, that well up within us whenever we've been offended. We're looking at our dignity, we're looking at our security, we're looking at our liberty or our freedom, and we're looking at our property. Those things really hold tight. To, I mean, do we hold those things dear? Right? I, I have dignity. Don't you attack me. Don't you disrespect me. I have dignity. I also want to be secure and safe. Don't take what's mine. I want to be free to think and do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. And if I own something, I want to do whatever I want with it. You can't take it. Verse 39 here at the end of verse 39, when, when Jesus says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You know, we, we as human beings, we have the fundamental right as, as human beings, as creatures made in the image of God, right, to be treated with dignity and respect. How do we treat one another? When you look at someone else with anger, we looked at this uh, a couple of weeks back as Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 talks about anger. When we are angry with someone else, we are also angry at God's image. Now ponder that for a minute. We have the fundamental right, being in the image of God, to be treated with dignity and respect. And likewise, we should also respect others for that very same reason. Now, Jewish culture at this point, they saw the slap in the face as the most demeaning and contemptuous of, of actions towards somebody, right? Nothing's changed. I mean, you slap somebody in the face, that's an insult. 
You slap them in the face with your palm, but then you go backhanded, that's a, that's a second slap, right? To strike anyone in the face is really a, an attack on one's honor. Now, it's a physical attack, but it's more so than that. It's deeper. It's an attack on their dignity. In the Jewish culture, to slap somebody in the face, it was the most egregious of indignities that you could inflict upon somebody. It actually communicated to the person that that person who was being hit was actually less than a human being. That's what it meant. You slap somebody in the face, they're not worthy of respect as a human. They're less than human. So when Jesus teaches here in verse 39 to turn the other cheek, What's he doing? He's, he's, he's implying here that although a kingdom citizen is actually demeaned and, the, and that person's dignity is attacked, non-retaliation is the act of the humble citizen of the kingdom. Humble. You retaliate not with violence, you retaliate with humility. Because humility is an attribute of the citizen of the kingdom. This is the expression of a gentle spirit. Y'all remember that? These are attributes of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. So the kingdom citizen here, according to Jesus, is to leave the protection and the, the, the response, the defense of our dignity, leave that in God's hands. Let God defend his own image in us. Let him defend our dignity. Knowing that one day, think about this, one day as citizens of the kingdom, where are we going to be eventually someday? We are going to reign with God in the final kingdom. So if somebody slaps you now, what's what's your ultimate end as a Christian? I'm going to reign with my Father in heaven. You may insult my dignity now, but you can't take away God's promise. Amen? Now let's move on to verse 40. Verse 40, Jesus now speaks about something practical. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What does this represent? This represents security. Think about this. If How many of y'all wear the right kind of clothes to be secure in the weather? Yeah? There's a sense of security. How many people here have a security blanket at home? Anybody still use their security blanket? Any, any parents have kids who still have a security blanket? Anybody still have that, that special friend, that stuffed animal, that's your security? Anybody still sleep with a stuffed animal? Anybody want to admit that? But we, we, we have things that we hold dear and, and then that gives us security. Same thing here with, with clothing. You see, security and safety, that is also another basic right of humanity, isn't it? We have the right as human beings to be secure, to be safe. And Jesus here is using the imagery of losing one's tunic because that's the outer garment of the Jewish wardrobe. And that outer garment gave you the security needed from the weather. It gave you better, it gave you stronger dignity of the body to cover the body, give you dignity. The outer cloak would all, or the outer garment here, the tunic would actually serve as a representation of your status. This, this outer garment, this tunic was often used also as a blanket at nighttime. So you take away somebody's outer garment, you take away their tunic, you're going to expose them to the elements. You're going to expose them to, to things that they need to be secure from. So in this example, what Jesus is referring to, he's not referring to theft. He's not referring to robbery. If somebody comes to steal from you, Jesus is not, in verse 40 here, telling you just to give up everything that you've got. Now, I would still advise, be safe. If somebody tries to rob you, give them what they need so you stay alive. Okay, that, that's wisdom. It's not a biblical mandate. Okay. But in this example, what Jesus is referring to is it's a it's a legal lawsuit, it's a legal judgment. That's what he's talking about. Because if you were to sue somebody for damages and you're suing for one's property, if that person you're suing does not have the money to pay you, in this day and age in Jewish culture, uh, the property that was sued for in court can be repaid by giving up someone's tunic. The judge, instead of demanding money from somebody who didn't have money, okay, you don't have the money to pay this debt, 
you need to give up your tunic. And that would have satisfied the debt. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. Somebody comes and sues you in court, and you lose the, you lose the case, and you owe a debt, give them your tunic. Just as the authorities are describing. But Jesus goes a little bit further. In this situation, and this day and age, most people, at best, they would own two pieces of clothing. They would own a shirt or a cloak here, and then the outer tunic. So the shirt would be kind of like the undergarment that would be fitted, but then the tunic would be outside, kind of like the coat, right? Most people would own perhaps two shirts at best and have only one outer garment, one tunic. And so what Jesus is saying here is that when somebody takes your tunic, in the, in the court of law, you would at least be kept with your shirt, right? What Jesus is saying is if, if you have to give up your tunic, and that would be the most expensive garment that you have, he would say the citizen of the kingdom of heaven would go further and surrender their shirt as well. Hey, here's my outer garment. I, I rightly owe this to you. Let me give you my shirt as well. What Jesus is now beginning to say here is you, you repay evil with good. Go beyond what you must do. Go beyond the bare minimum and go even farther with the goodness that you can give. If you have to give up your tunic, show them even more kindness and give them your shirt as well. The law courts would not have required the second step. But Jesus is saying, go further. Go further. Now, verse 41. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This is clearly referring to giving up your liberty, giving up your freedom. You have to stop and think about this. God made us in His image to live freely as His people. And this was God's original intent. But, but now, of course, the curse of sin that Adam brings upon us actually puts us under a condition of slavery under sin. Stop and think about that. So we hate being enslaved. We can't stand it because the very nature of who we are and made in God's image, we want to be free. So this freedom and liberty that God gives us as His people, being made in His image, is actually a basic human right. But it's especially more clear when we are redeemed in Christ. When we are redeemed in Christ, we are set free from the slavery of sin. So we as Christians, we enjoy our freedom. Amen? That's a different sermon altogether, but that's what we enjoy. But what is Jesus teaching here in verse 41? He's teaching the idea that any oppressive military power that controls our liberty and controls our freedom, that's a bad thing. What was happening here? Rome had occupied all of the known world at this time, and, 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 and Jewish people were under Roman law, and there was a Roman law that gave a soldier the right to force any civilian to carry his pack for at least one Roman mile, which was very similar to our current mile. How many of y'all have ever carried a military backpack? Very few. Trust me, that stuff's heavy. Dwayne, how heavy is that stuff that we carry in the military? 100 pounds. How many of y'all could carry 100 pounds for a mile? When you didn't want to, and you weren't ready, you didn't even have on the right shoes. So what is happening here is this law was designed actually for two things. The law was designed, number one, to relieve the soldier of the burden of carrying his own equipment. But secondly, and this was the more oppressive part of the law, it was actually designed to cause great inconvenience for the people they occupied. It was the Roman design to do this. So you can imagine being a Jewish citizen who felt that Leviticus chapter 24 gave you the right to retaliate but yet you couldn't because the Roman law was more powerful. You wanted to fight back. You wanted to resist. And Jesus is saying here, you have to follow the Roman law. If a soldier commands you to carry his equipment, his backpack, you carry it, not just the minimum that the law requires, you carry it further than the law requires. You show that Roman soldier who is the evil oppressor over you that you can do more good than his evil can do against you. How many of y'all would be willing to do that? That's what Jesus is talking about here. So what he's teaching, Jesus is teaching the principle here of going beyond expectations and to do more good 
than the evil does to you. You see where we're going? This double kindness, this double goodness. This is what kingdom citizens do. Now, lastly, verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This last illustration here, Jesus is now talking about our property. Do we have property rights? How many of us, if somebody were to come and take our property, would want to defend it? I've worked hard, you can't take it. Money, house, cars, whatever. This, this last illustration here is what Jesus addresses here as our right to property that we get offended about if we're not careful. He actually calls the citizens of his kingdom to willingly surrender their property, to surrender their right of possessing things when somebody demands it of us. Now, let's, let's make sure we understand what he's talking about here. See, now, another characteristic of our fallen sinful nature is that we're selfish. Can we say amen? Oh me, oh my. Right? If, if, you, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, just think about a small toddler who sees the injustice of somebody taking away their favorite toy. How do they react? Mine, 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 right? Y'all ever tried to take something from a toddler? Yeah. Don't tell me that we're not born in sin. Because they didn't learn that from us. They learned that, well, they might have learned it from their parents, but they're born with it, all right? We're all born with this sense of selfishness and possessiveness. But what Jesus is saying here, but as Christians, we fail to remember sometimes that nothing that we possess is actually truly ours anyway. I'll let that sink in for a minute. What Jesus is teaching us here in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 5 is don't forget that as citizens of the kingdom, anything you possess is not yours anyway. It all belongs to God. And we are just stewards. Every material possession that we have belongs to God and He is either directly giving these things to us or He at least gives us the ability to earn money and to earn reward and property, right? But what God does not do, He does not give us the right to protect that property that He grants to us. He gives us the right to steward it. He doesn't give us the right to hoard it. By right, if we've earned it, these things are ours to use as we wish. We can dispose of it, we can give it away, we can keep it. It's our choice. God has given us that freedom. But if anyone tries to force us to surrender our possessions, I would say if somebody's trying to rob you, This is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that anyone who asks you, you should surrender your possessions willingly. If somebody comes and asks you for money and you have it, we're to give it to them. If somebody begs, if somebody wants a loan, here's the thing we've got to think about. The right to possess anything that we have should actually be placed on the altar of God. So if somebody comes and asks us for money. We give that money to the altar of God and say, dear God, what do you want me to do with this? You want me to give it to them? Do they need it? He'll give us wisdom and discernment, but we should be willingly, we should willingly surrender that. Jesus points out two ways of getting here. Number one is begging. What are you doing when you're begging? You're probably in a pretty bad state financially. You're probably in a very terrible situation and you're begging. You're impoverished, and you probably would not ask unless it was necessary. Now, this would be somebody who has a genuine heart. Let's, let's just be honest. We've got some corrupt people in our world, and even in, Ju- in Jesus' time, the same thing was happening. They would have people who would manipulate people's emotions. We've got to be wise. But Jesus is making a point here. If somebody comes and begs you for money, and they're humble, and they're broken, and you could tell, I don't want to ask for this, but I need it. If we have it, we give it. We don't hoard it. And the second thing, Jesus points out something about borrowing. What if somebody came and asked you, can I borrow some money? They wouldn't come and ask you unless they were in need. We do the right thing and we let them borrow money and give them the opportunity to repay. Now again, wisdom still is still at play here. If somebody comes and asks to borrow money from you and you know for a fact they're borrowing money because they borrowed too much money on credit cards... I'd say that the wisest thing is not to enable them and let them borrow more. (laughs) You may have to say, I love you, but let's work on something else. But what Jesus is talking about here ultimately is go beyond 
just doing something good. Go and do more than that. In other words, don't be selfish. Don't take the law in your own hands. So what he's saying here in these verses 39 through 42, that if the courts award a payment to the prosecution, then give them everything and then more. If anyone who is in need needs something, then freely give what you have, or at least give what you're able to give. What Jesus is pointing out here in verses 39 through 42 is don't be selfish. Don't focus on personal retaliation. Don't hoard. What is Jesus is he's ultimately teaching us here that that we're to die to ourself. Because when we read here in verses 38 through 42, he's addressing very clearly this idea that I have the right to revenge. I have the right to retaliate. I am placing myself as ruler and judge. I will take the authority that God has for myself. And what Jesus is saying here is that we, that citizen king, that kingdom citizens die to themselves. If somebody comes and attacks you, die to your impulse to fight back. Give up your right to defend. Give up your right to retaliate. Because it is ultimately God Himself, God our Father, who grants justice. Isn't He? Right? In other words, we've got to think about it this way. Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount what it means to be in the Spirit of Christ. And if Jesus' saving grace is actually imparted upon us and we're forgiven, can we do the same thing to others? Let's think about this, what, what God's Word says. And I'll just give you a few examples here. We're going to close. This Bible, this book that we have, this Word of God is full of examples of God's people going the extra mile and not retaliating. Even in the Old, Te- the Old Testament, patriarchs, they actually lived out the Spirit of Christ even though they didn't know Him yet. Think about this, the spirit in which Abraham gives the best land to his nephew Lot. Do you remember that story? They had a choice when they came into the land. Abraham had the right to take the best, but he looked at his nephew Lot and said, you choose the best. I'll take what's left. We also see this spirit of Christ in in Joseph when he embraces and kisses his brothers who sold him into slavery and treated him so badly. Joseph had every right to retaliate when he had the power. And instead of doing so, what does he do? He embraces his brothers and he loves them. We see this in the spirit of David when he refused to harm King Saul. Do you remember that story? David could have harmed King Saul because how was King Saul treating David? Not very nicely. Going after David, wanted his head. And David had the right, he had the opportunity to defend himself and actually take out the king and he chose not to. We also see this in the New Testament in the spirit of Stephen himself, the the Christian martyr in the book of Acts. He prayed for those who were stoning him to death. How many of us as Christians this morning would allow that type of attack and evil to come against us and pray for them instead of fighting back? This is what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. He says, you, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Don't go to the added, don't go to the extreme of being passive in every situation to where you're just laying down and being a doormat. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he is saying, give up your right to retaliate and fight back with goodness and gentleness and kindness and sweetness. The main point of this sermon here is this, that we're at the spirit of Christ in every one of us, every believer in Christ, we are to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to be perfect, even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, verse 48. This really summarizes this whole text. You therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Next time that you find yourself offended, 
If you claim the name of Christ, I'm wondering, is the Spirit of Christ strong enough in you in that moment that you could hold back the retaliation? Every one of us in this room struggles with this, I know. How many of us have been yelled at and we yell back? How many of us have been cheated and we want to cheat back? How many of us have been gossiped about so we just work up the worst gossip about the other one and get that out there too? We want to fight back. You've hurt me, I want to hurt you more. Jesus Christ calls us and commands us to give that up. It's not just acting in a certain way, it's being a certain way. And being God's people, being the children of God, we give up a lot. We give up all of our rights. Amen? And that even means the right to retaliate. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we do ask, Lord, that as we serve your kingdom and as we claim the name of your Son, we claim his blood for us. We believe that he has died for us. We believe that our sins are forgiven. As you make us new, Father, as you continue to mold us and shape us and work us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, it's a constant process. Lord, I pray for us all that whenever something comes against us that harms us, that you would, through your Spirit, strengthen us to not fight back, but to be kind and good. And in so doing, Father, I pray that you would be glorified and that you would be pleased. Strengthen us in this, Lord. We need you. As we close out in this final hymn, Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your Spirit upon us. As we praise you, please do some work within us. Teach us where we failed you in this. Strengthen us so that we can do better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.